for every woman hormonal health and sleep are closely intertwined i've done many episodes with wonderful guests in this episode we answer three key questions do hormone deficiencies trigger sleep issues how can bioidentical hormones help sleep what are supplements that can help you with hormonal health and sleep after her doctors told her they didn't have answers outside of drugs and surgery misty embarked on the arduous path of finding answers to reclaim her energy brain power and figure she founded healingrosie.com to provide women with the resources and community to successfully confront the unexpected chronic health issues that are often experienced by high performing women as they age let's get started hey everyone i'm deepa light functional medicine practitioner author and yogini and you're listening to the sleep whisperer podcast the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Misty, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. It's a pleasure to have you and I love finding people across the world who have the same passion for sleep as i do so it was great to find you and i watched you on the sleep summit uh, which i absolutely loved so i hope you'll do it again and i definitely want to watch that all over again so uh, today we are actually talking about supplements and sleep and um, as both of us discussed before we uh we both share a similar perspective we'll come to that later but i do see a lot of people hoping that there's this wonder supplement that is going to fix their sleep so let's dive deep into that subject today and uh, also let's begin with what got you fascinated about sleep because Uh, it's not often that people give such priority to sleep i found a few of us all over the world who really prioritize sleep so talk to me about your story and how did your you end up on this path of sleep yeah well my journey started in 2011 so it's been almost 10 years ago um with doctors finding a cyst on my left ovary went in for surgery to have it removed. They took my left ovary. They removed three polyps from my uterus and spent two hours removing scar tissue from my abdomen because I had endometriosis, they discovered. And on their way out, they stitched up part of my small intestine, which was not part of the procedure and sent me home. It was an outpatient surgery. Originally it was supposed to last 15 or 20 minutes and I was under for two and a half hours. So 
I had lots of complications after the surgery was over. Um, the, the main, mainly coming from having my small intestine stitched up. I couldn't keep down food or water. I couldn't get a hold of my doctor for days. It took me six days to actually get my doctor to acknowledge what was happening. I was leaving messages. I don't think she was getting them. Um, and on the sixth day, I planted myself in her office and told the receptionist I wasn't leaving till I saw her. And they, she called a couple hours later, sent me over to the emergency room. They discovered what they'd done, did a follow-up surgery to fix it. And while I was there, uh, they admitted me this time to make sure that I recovered properly. Um, they gave me Ambien to sleep at night. And I remember thinking, this is weird because I wasn't having sleep challenges previous to the surgery. And I didn't expect to have challenges after, but knowing what I know now, I think that they were acknowledging, you know, professionally that uh, my body had been under an extreme amount of stress. And when you're, when you have a lot of cortisol in your system, it can really impede your body's ability to make melatonin and your sleep hormones. So after those three days of recovery, they sent me home and I didn't sleep for 144 hours. And that was super scary night after night, laying in bed, begging God for sleep. Um, I didn't even bother to call my doctor, you know, in hindsight, I just look back at that and I just think it's a miracle that I even made it through because the patient care was so egregious, you know, and, um, on the sixth night, maybe it was the seventh night because it was six nights without sleep. On the seventh night, I actually did a lot of deep breathing all day that day. I'd called a friend. Um, he was really into a lot of the Eastern arts and um, healing. And he was having me do these breathing exercises that actually calmed my sympathetic nervous system down so that at night I could finally fall asleep again. And, you know, after this whole ordeal was over, I was wrecked. I was utterly exhausted and I was having trouble functioning. I had this brain fog that I'd never experienced before. It was like my brain was full of cotton and my thoughts couldn't get through. It was really scary. I've been an entrepreneur since I was 26 years old. Um, and if I can't work and perform and use my mind, you know, everything in my life was threatened and it was scary. I was single at the time and, um, and I was looking ahead at my life feeling terrified, you know, and um, I knew that I wasn't going to take the conventional medicine path. Two weeks after my surgery, I went and saw the doctor again. And she told me I had endometriosis. And I asked her what caused it. You know, you're, you diagnosed me with the disease. What causes endometriosis? What lifestyle changes do I need to make? And she said, we don't know what causes endometriosis. You can Google it. I can put you on birth control and we can do surgery if it comes back. Mm. And in that moment, something was like, no, like I, I was stunned that a doctor whose specialty was women's health just told me to go Google it. Like, how do you not know anything about women's health? You know, how do you not know anything about what causes endometriosis? Like I just, my mind, it was reeling on the inside. I could not wrap my hand, head around what was happening. So I reached out to a friend of mine who was a chiropractor. He knew a little bit about what was happening. And I told him I really needed help. And the first thing he asked me was, how's your sleep? Mm. And I told them, I said, you know, I sleep fine. I, I'm a night owl. I usually go to bed about 2 a.m. And, you know, and I wake up in the morning. He's like, how do you feel when you wake up? I said, I feel like I've been hit by a Mack truck when I wake up. But in my mind, it had always been rationalized because I was sleeping. And so I'm waking up tired because I've been sleeping. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very easy thing for me to rationalize away. And he was like, you, you should wake up in the morning feeling refreshed. Like you should wake up in the morning, like feeling good and you're ready to take on your day. And it was kind of like he was an alien life form before me, like, uh, no hablo inglés, you know, <laughs> I can't understand what you're saying right now. So that was really my first introduction to this idea that we should be waking up feeling refreshed. And he just really pressed upon me hard at that time. You know, you've, you can't keep going to bed at 2 a.m. You have to go to bed by 10. You have to go to bed by 10. And so for the next six months, it was like, you know, he had me doing some supplements and some other things, but really my main thing was fixing my sleep. And, you know, he just missed you. You, you can't heal if you're not sleeping, you've got to fix your sleep. Yeah. It, was, it was very important to him um, as my treating doctor at the time to get me sleeping. So fixing it was hard. I learned some things along the way. I started learning about circadian biology and circadian rhythms and the important role that they play in helping our body to shut down and actually go to sleep. Um, I started wearing amber glasses um, mm. at dusk and, um, and that was really helpful. It took me about six months. I did cold baths. Um, cold baths were really helpful. To, after two weeks of cold baths, I started waking up in the morning, not feeling like I'd been hit by a mattress. Yeah. You know, I can't say that it was like bright eyed, bushy tailed, like some people do wake up that way. Yeah. Um, and I have, I have times when I'm, I wake up, you know, feeling really refreshed and ready to go. Um, but back then waking up and not feeling like you're climbing out of a hole was such a win for me, you know? Yeah. So all along the way over the last nine, 10 years of me trying to figure out how to get my health back after that experience and then having mercury fillings improperly drilled for my teeth two years later, um, which gave me terrible mercury poisoning. Hmm. Um, You know, those two things, it's been a long road, but fundamentally, I just connected the dots really early on with sleep and then started observing the times. And I've had lots of different sleep challenges creep up over, over these last 10 years, you know, back then the circadian stuff fixed my sleep. And then after the, um, the mercury was improperly drilled, I had a really hard time sleeping and it was because my hormones were totally trashed. Like whatever that communication signal between the pituitary hypothalamus and the rest of my body was just completely broken. Um, so I was having a lot of sleep issues because of low hormones um, and, you know, all of the things that kind of cascade from there. So I feel like I've, I've had lots of struggles with different health challenges that have come up since then that have impaired my ability to sleep and having that impressed on me so early in my journey has always had me really focus on it. And, you know, now I, everything in my, I'm doing pretty great health wise, but everything's not perfect. I have I have low normal cortisol. I have a great cortisol curve, you know? So when they test your cortisol throughout the day and you wanna have this nice curve in the morning, I have the nice curve, it just starts, starts at the low end of normal and stays there all day long, you know, and tapers off at night. So even, even in spite of those challenges, I'm functioning really, really well and, um, and my sleep is great. My melatonin was really, really high on my last Dutch test. My body produces lots of melatonin. And, and I, I'm on hormone therapy that absolutely helps. And I do a lot of the lifestyle stuff and I really credit the lifestyle stuff with giving me pretty close to rockstar sleep. You know, I, I sleep great. I wake up refreshed. I have a Garmin that tests the body battery, which is a really fun metric to see how well your body's recharging overnight. And 
Um, and I, you know, if I haven't overexerted myself, um, I've, I wake up with a really strong body battery every day. So, you know, in my journey now we're going after, I've been doing some cortisol stuff, um, with herbs and stuff. And now we're going to do granulars and try to go after this a little more aggressively, but you know, even in spite of it, um, I'm functioning really, really well. And fundamentally the thing that I know through a lot of trial and error and seeing when I'm sleeping and when I'm not sleeping and how well things are working, everything in my life works a lot better and the healing works better when we're sleeping. So, you know, I, I'm passionate about this topic and I see women struggling so much trying to do these protocols to get their life back and their sleep is crap. And it's just, you can't, we spend so much money and there's so much time that you have to invest. Some of these protocols are six or eight weeks. Some of them are six months, a year, two years, three years, depending on what you're dealing with. And if you're spending all that time and money on doctors and protocols and, you know, the supplements that you're taking and you're not sleeping at night, you know, instead of going 10 miles down the road, you're going a quarter of a mile over the same period of time. And it's, man, it's, it's an investment and a sacrifice a lot of times to go after our health. And if we don't have that fundamental foundation of great sleep, like you're, you're not going to get the outcomes that you want. One of my favorite interviews during the sleep summit was with uh, Dr. Roger Murphy. Hmm. who You should totally have on your podcast. He works with women who are challenged with fibromyalgia and severe autoimmune disease. And in his practice, before he does any protocol with his patients, he gets them sleeping because it yeah. doesn't matter. You know, yeah. you, you have the fatigue and the low energy and the pain in your body and all of that. If you're not sleeping, he can't help you get well. And so it's his priority, priority in his practice. And, you know, a lot of these conditions that we're dealing with as we get older, that create a lot of fatigue and pain and brain fog and all of that. Um, one of the, con- the components of them is low serotonin. And yes. when our serotonin is low, it also impacts our sleep at night, but we have a really hard time managing stress when we don't have good serotonin levels. So he has a wonderful protocol to help these women actually get to sleeping again. Sleeping is, in my experience, it's 80% a lifestyle habit and your body gets really entrained to the habit of sleep. You know, you're consistent about going to bed, doing the things to support your body and being able to get to sleep. When we're under a lot of stress and we're carrying a lot of responsibility in our life and we put sleep on the back burner, it, we are just setting ourselves up for, for failure in this area, you know, cause you can really train the body to go through the process of sleep consistently every single day. It doesn't have to be a struggle. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was so, uh, there were so many questions there in my mind. So I'm going to quickly do a little segue before we actually go into the rest of it. But first of all, that it's painful that so many people and women especially go through a lot of what you described about doctors not telling them what's going on. And so let's go into a little bit about, um, do you feel that deficiencies play a role in poor sleep quality or even the ability to fall? Well, I mean, I'm sure I wouldn't start looking at diet first, although we really need good fat to make hormones and we need hormones to sleep. So it's really important that we have good fat in our diets um, for our neurotransmitters and everything else. But when I'm talking to other practitioners and when I'm talking to the women in our community, the reason that people aren't sleeping is mainly their lifestyle and their lifestyle creates a lot of imbalances in their body, right? So you have people who have 
severe gut dysbiosis and mm. their guts aren't healthy. And, you know, we make hormones uh, in our gut and there's signaling that happens between our gut and our brain. And, you know, so if you have a lot of gut issues, there's likely going to be an impact in some way on your sleep. We make serotonin in our gut. I mean, there's, there's so many things that happen that govern our health with our gut. So there's certainly some deficiencies there that by addressing them, you can improve your sleep. Um, and if you have severe hormone issues, like what I had now, not everyone is in the, has the terrible experience of, you know, having, having a severe mercury poisoning or some kind of heavy metal toxicity that completely shuts down signaling from your brain. The, the big question that I'm exploring now is, what are the very best protocols for restoring signaling? Because, um, because we've done so many of the other things for me over the last eight years too. And I've been on hormone therapy since 2014. Mm. So, you know, we're doing things to kind of make up for it, but hormones are big. Hormones significantly impact our sleep. When, when they first put me on progesterone and estrogen, um, I, it might, my sleep majorly improved and, through the years when my progesterone needed to be increased, my dose needed to be increased because my signaling has continued to worsen. At 38, I was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure because everything was just shutting down. I'm 45 now. Mm. So, um, so, you know, low progesterone can definitely have an impact on sleep. Dr. Anna Kabeca did a great interview with me for the sleep summit, um, talking about the role of progesterone in helping women sleep, um, especially oral progesterone is super helpful. So uh, progesterone can affect sleep, but I've noticed that when my estrogen gets too low, it impacts my sleep. Um, certainly when women are dealing with hot flashes and night sweats and all of these things that are just sleeping hot, you know, maybe it's not a flash, but you're just sleeping really hot, man, it's miserable trying yeah. to, to get good sleep and you need to support your hormones. And for women that haven't been so adversely affected by their environment, there's a lot of things that you can do very naturally without using bioidentical hormones to improve your hormones. Chase Berry is great for women with low estrogen. And, you know, there's different things like that that you can look into. But um, if your estrogen levels are really dipping low and some of the nutritional things aren't working, then certainly just being on estrogen support can be a game changer. And for a lot of people, a lot of women, I, we see it so often in the community, pretty much everyone, it seems like that's in my body, my healing, which is the group coaching program that I do to help people advocate for themselves and figure out how to take this journey on pretty much all of them have hypothyroid issues, you know, varying degrees. And sometimes it's, Sometimes it's not that their free T3 is low. Sometimes it's that their reverse T3 is through the roof. Yeah. And so, you know, that's really impacting your body to make hormones. It's free T3 plus vitamin A plus LDL cholesterol. That makes pregnenolone, which is the mother hormone that makes all the rest of your hormones. So if your thyroid is compromised and you don't have good thyroid function, your body doesn't have the building blocks it needs to make your hormones. You can see how all these things are connected. So certainly, but I do want to actually be, I do want to stop you for a second because I want to ask you a little more about bioidentical hormones since there's recently been a lot of concern whenever I've mentioned it to 
somebody they've uh, again googled and then they haven't actually discovered the difference between synthetic and bioidentical and then they've said no that has so much link to uh, predisposition to female cancer so just let's take a quick uh cut away from our topic and just differentiate synthetic and bioidentical and uh, how did you actually bring it in was it you said oral progesterone so talk about safety if somebody actually it's not really the concern is simply because they're looking at it from the point of synthetic hormones yeah all the testing really has been done with synthetic hormones. I wish there were more tests with bioidentical hormones to be honest with you. Um I think that I think that if there was more money in it there would be more mm. tests. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things that uh, especially as it relates to women's health, um there's a lot of things that that don't get the testing that they deserve because there's not enough money in it. Our pharmaceutical/medical complex, especially in the US. Um but really it's it's permeating a lot of systems around the world not everywhere but a lot of systems are permeated by it they make it makes money off of disease you know there's Absolutely. there's money in disease and managing disease states so there's not a lot of studying that gets done on the things that drive health and that keep disease from happening because there's nothing to sell on the other end so where where does this money come from you know to do these studies i mean in some ways logically i understand it but principally it's Yeah. It's devastating and for women they didn't in the United States they did not start including women in their tests uh in their studies until the late 90s and the women they included were all postmenopausal women because the wild card of hormones and their impact on studies made it so that they couldn't get consistent results at all. So, you know, it's really a shame that women haven't been better represented in medicine. um and in our studies so as a woman especially if you're listening to this that's something that you need to know and be mindful of so much of what's happening in anti-aging medicine and even in functional medicine we have to base it off of science and not studies and what we know about science and there are ways that you can actually track what's happening in your body so you mentioned that women are concerned about the cancer risk especially with estrogens um and estrogens are cancer causing and whatever there's actually several different types of estrogen that your body produces and there's a type that is more prone to cause cancer than the others and it's really easy to see what's happening in your body with something like a dutch test so i just went over my dutch results with my practitioner a couple days ago and she commented on how my estrogen is converting and the fact that my estrogen likes the good pathway which is really great for me but you know i even if you're doing bioidenticals i think you need to do it responsibly you need to be doing dutch tests and seeing what's happening in your body and seeing if you're creating too much of the bad estrogen you also need to make sure you're supporting your body in detoxing the estrogen what's happening for a lot of women is their estrogen is building up in their system and because of other toxicities the liver has a hard time dealing with the toxic load and estrogen so the estrogen doesn't get cleared so women are having these symptoms of what's called estrogen dominance where you're getting the cramping and the fibroids and uh endometriosis and all this dysfunction around that time of the month a really painful menses so 
this is all happening because of excess estrogen in your system. So you've got to take DIM and calcium deglucurate and support your body in really detoxing that estrogen out of your system. And it can be a game changer. I just had a girlfriend tell me about her painful periods and she started taking DIM and calcium deglucurate and the next month, no pain. Hmm. So, you know, it's amazing what happens when to the body, when we're overloaded and become really symptomatic and then just supporting the body and being able to do what in a different environment it would be able to do naturally, but the world has become so toxic that we have to give our bodies extra support. So, you know, hormones are a big, big subject. It's a big topic. Yeah. It's a very important one without hormone therapy. It would have severely impacted my own quality of life. And most importantly, my ability to be able to afford the medical treatments that I've needed in order to get well. So I think women need to test their thyroid and their hormones very early in their health journey. And I think they need to get them either on the right track, which sometimes you can do with diet corrections and some lifestyle stuff. But if you go six or eight weeks and it's still not fixing, don't, don't wait six months, a year, two years, three years of being miserable, you know, ask your doctor to help you with bioidentical hormone therapy, or go find a doctor that can help you with bioidentical hormone therapy so that you can function. And then from a state of functioning, you can do such a better job of actually supporting your body and healing and going after the right help for healing. So yeah, big topic. So how do you think it helped your sleep? Was it right away when you introduced the hormones that your sleep started to improve? Yeah, like within a day or two. It was very quick. Wow. Um, and I experienced that both in 2013 when I had the mercury. By the way, I didn't know I had mercury toxicity in 2013. It was a complete mystery. I, had, I was two years into my journey by that time. I was fully paleo. I had cleaned up my diet. I was working out with the trainer twice a week. I had rented EMF meters to like get my EMFs really low in my home. I had all natural. I'd gotten rid of all the toxic products, cleaning products and beauty products and brought in all natural stuff. I'd gotten rid of synthetic rugs and things in my house that would off gas. So you can imagine after all of that work, suddenly gaining 45 pounds, it was like shocking, you know, it was totally shocking. So, um, so the doctors actually never drilled into why that happened. It was, it was doctor, I'm experiencing these symptoms. Let's run your labs. Oh my gosh. These labs look like premature ovarian failure. Let me refer you to a gynecologist. Um, gynecologist says you need to be on hormone therapy, hormone. How are you feeling? You feeling better with hormone therapy? Okay. That was it. It was like, it was no more questions. Why she's only 38 years old. Why could this be happening to her? So it wasn't until 2018 that I was doing my first summit, Fixer Female Hormones, and I interviewed Dr. Christopher Shade. And he talked to me about heavy metals. And we talked about the role that um, heavy metal poisoning can play in uh, creating all sorts of dysfunction for the body. And like it all just clicked in my head. I went back and looked up. When did I have those fillings removed? And and that was the trigger event for me. Um, And doing heavy metal detox um, has helped in a lot of ways, like hormone therapy can take you part of the way there, but you really like over time, you're going to even find that hormone therapy is not working so well for you. If you have a major stressor like mold or metals or parasites or something like that, that's in your body, that's, you know, really affecting your mitochondria. So, so yeah, I, I wish I could say that I found a doctor at some point to help me connect the dots on everything, but nope. And even now I get my labs and I have a great doctor that I'm working with and You know, I remember saying to her a few months ago, my progesterone, you know, even though progesterone helps me, if, if we're saying that for menopausal women, 
that the optimal progesterone level is at a 10 and I'm at a five. Don't you think we should be pushing that more? She's looking at it. Yeah, actually we really should be put, you know, it's, we have to learn how our bodies are function, supposed to function. We have to learn what metrics we're looking at. We've got to learn to make, to pay attention to our own symptoms and advocate for ourselves. with our doctors. It's even working with great people. I find myself doing it. So women, women have an, an education to get, you know, to really get their life back. And it's unfortunate and it can be really challenging when your mind's not working and it feels like you have so many demands and stressors on you and you know, you're at 30% and now you have to figure all this other stuff out. I get it. I totally get it. And uh, Misty, I must share that uh, for two, three clients with similar problems, I did so much for months together and then something never quite changed. And then the moment we removed, we discovered that all of them were using hair color every single week. And the moment we pulled that out within a month, their cycle started regularizing. They felt much better. So it's about how you were saying about uh, toxic overload. In your case, it was mercury. And uh, uh, in their case, it was just that every single week they were uh, applying these toxic chemicals onto themselves and then uh, of course there is I did understand when they told me that hey you've got black hair you don't need to do this I can't be gray at 35 I need to so we did a lot of work actually figuring out more natural options for that and uh, it was a game changer for them so I think it's important for everybody to also look into I, I call it a uh, environmental toxin audit of every individual because each of us have different exposures and we need to look at what's going on and uh, even that can be bio-individual because your, your exposure is different to my exposure so that's uh, I just wanted to clear that up for our listeners but you clarified a lot about bioidentical hormones and I think at least reassured a lot of women that there is a difference between synthetic and bioidentical and not to have so much fear around it. And uh, also it was a great thing you shared that women need to start and, and um, your point about so many other things going on with sleep is also clear and uh, I want us to spend a little bit of time now to talk about supplements because we had this talk and we both share a similar view. But before I actually tell our audience what that is, recently I've been noticing on a lot of uh, social media groups where uh, somebody posts that, hey, I'm not able to sleep at all and my uh, psych Cycle-related insomnia is huge. There's so many women unable to sleep at so many times of the month. And um, there is this belief that, hey, take melatonin and it's absolutely fine. It's the magical supplement. So then they take it and some of them it doesn't work. So do you think when somebody takes, uh, first of all, is melatonin all that it's uh, being talked about? Are there different ways to increase melatonin in the body? And if it doesn't work for somebody when they add melatonin as a supplement, is it just one because there's too many other things going on within them? Or two, is it that 
uh, they having a problem with melatonin themselves so i am pro whatever you need in the beginning to get yourself sleeping and so for a lot of people they've got to have a little extra support in the beginning because their body's been really broken for a long time yeah here's the thing here's what creates melatonin i think this could be a really helpful distinction so people understand because melatonin helps us sleep it's the sleep hormone you know it's it's what our body needs to be able to enter the sleep state so when your melatonin is low, obviously it, it just, it's like that doorway just isn't there for you to slip off into dreamland. So what, what helps the body to create melatonin? Number one is the circadian stuff. And we touched on this a little bit earlier in the interview where I talked about, you know, the things that I was doing, but our body is designed to start producing melatonin when the sun goes down. And there is a sensor in our eye and there are sensors in our red blood cells that sense light. And when these sensors pick up light, basically the signaling to start producing melatonin isn't triggered. Hmm. And if the body is producing melatonin and then the sensors pick up light, it triggers the shutoff valve, so to speak, and they quit producing melatonin. So if you want to have plenty of melatonin by the time you fall to sleep, you've got to get rid of the blue light. So in my home, we have amber bulbs in some of our lamps, not all of our lamps, just some of them. The main ones that we know we're going to need at night. Like I have a, I have a lamp right by the sink because I like a lot of light at the sink, but it has an amber bulb in it. Um, we have a couple lamps in the living room with normal bulbs, a couple lamps with amber bulbs. Uh, bedroom lights, only amber bulbs. Mm. Because I know how the body works. I know how the science of how all of this works. So if you're exposed to a lot of blue light, and it's shutting down the production of melatonin, you know, that's going to create problems for you. So this, you can see why people think, well, I'll take melatonin and it'll work. A challenge is when your body's taking in that blue light, a lot of times it's also triggering the production of cortisol. And so for a lot of people, your, your system is so full of cortisol, even taking melatonin to try to sleep is just not enough. You know, it's like, it's like your, your, your body almost is confused by this. So if you need melatonin in the beginning to help you sleep, and some people are so broken that they're gonna need melatonin for the rest of their life. And if that's you, like you do all the right things and there's not enough melatonin, keep taking the melatonin, you know, because you need, sleep is the most healing thing you can do. My partner took, mel when we first started uh, dating, I told him all about my sleep passion, the amber glasses, he started wearing the amber glasses and he reported back to me that man, I'm, instead of feeling like I need to stay up until one or two o'clock in the morning, I'm going to bed at 11, mm. which was really great progress for him. But there was a time that he would take CBD in addition to wearing the amber glasses to help him sleep at night. He just had a hard time getting his body to shut down. So he would take the CBD and that would help. And I would say, it seems like maybe for six or eight months, maybe even a year, he would take CBD to help him go to sleep at night, but he would do the amber glasses after dark. Now he needs nothing. Mm. And I asked him about it recently. I was like, are you still taking that CBD? He's like, no, I don't need it. Because if you put yourself on a routine and you're consistent about honoring the circadian mismatch, making sure that you're not exposed to all that blue light after dark, 
in, in our room, we have room darkening curtains. So that there's no light. Like you should be able to hold your hand up in front of your face and not right. see it. That's how you know it's dark enough in your room. Make your room dark because a dark room, when as your red blood cells are coursing through your veins at the level of your skin and not picking up any blue light, it signals more melatonin, more melatonin, more melatonin. I have a really high melatonin level at night. And mm -hmm. that, that comes from doing all of the lifestyle stuff. You know, I have a high melatonin level, even though my sex hormones are shot, even though my thyroid is shot, you know, all these other things that you would think would also mean your melatonin is going to be shot. No, because what governs melatonin is light primarily. So light helps. Another thing that can help your body produce more melatonin is cold. So making sure the room that you're sleeping in is cold, like below 70 degrees is optimal. I don't know how to do the, the transition to Celsius. Um, That's okay. Um, but the, but you want your room cold and I sleep on something called a chili pad. Chili it actually pads. courses, it courses the cold water in this little pad that lays on top of your mattress at night. And especially for women who are dealing with sleeping hot. Oh my gosh. Yes. Game, a game changer. <laughs> and that's why also, also the heat, like if you're having a lot of night sweats and hot flashes, it's really disruptive to your sleep. Um, so, so yeah, doing things to make your room cold, cold and dark is what stimulates excellent melatonin in the body. So take it if you need it. Sometimes people, um, need the precursors to melatonin that works better. Maybe five HTP or something yeah. that might work better. There's a few different, you know, formulas and ways of doing it, but ultimately you don't want to take melatonin unless you need it. And if you're not bringing your lifestyle into check, there will come a time that melatonin doesn't work anymore. So just be smart about this. Don't do that to yourself. You, there's nothing we can do to outsmart our body's need for sleep. There's no biohacking in the world that's going to make it so that you don't need sleep. And listen, I know it's inconvenient. I need eight to nine hours of sleep every single night. I track my sleep. Sometimes I sleep 10 hours a night. My body just needs a lot of sleep honor it because then when you're awake, you're so much more productive. You know, you're the very best version of yourself and everything else in your life works better. There's no shortcuts. We have to sleep. Oh, that's beautiful. But Misty, before that, I just want to say that, do you actually feel, I've heard a lot of people tell me that uh, I think many people don't actually need that much sleep and they're fine. Do you feel that there are people who can get away with sleeping five hours a night consistently. Genetically, it's, it's true. I mean, there's, if you have the genetics for not needing as much sleep, I mean, this is a very small percentage of the population. Yeah. But, but you know, sleep genetics is the real thing. You know, are you a night owl? Are you an early bird? You know, like how, how you're wired to sleep genetically can definitely impact um, whether you're someone that needs to go to bed at 8 PM, there are people that need to go to bed at 8 PM, which thank God I am not one of them. I am. Um, <laughs> yes. So, but you probably also wake up really early in the morning yeah. and you feel great and that's your most yeah. productive time. Yes. And then there are people, Dr. Michelle Sands doesn't go to bed until 1 AM and that works the best for her. And she, it's her genetics, you know? So knowing your genetics can be really empowering around the sleep topic Here's what I'll say, because, you know, I was like, oh, I'm wired to be a night owl. I was convinced. Here's the tell. This is how you know. You know if you wake up in the morning and you feel refreshed. 
Mm. So if you can be a night owl and you can go to bed at 2 a.m. when you wake up in the morning, if you feel refreshed and strong and ready to take on the day, then maybe that's how you're wired and you can get your genetics to confirm it. But if you're someone who stays up late and you wake up in the morning and you feel like crap, then it's probably not how you're wired to sleep, you know? So but you feel that there is a difference. See, this is a very subtle difference between waking up, feeling refreshed, ready to go, go, go can also be consistently being on an adrenal overdrive. So there are a lot of people like that. And then it lasts for a while and then it suddenly crashes. So many people actually don't know that they feel they're full of energy and then one fine day they just crash. So that is also a subtle difference, don't you think? Well, I think that probably doing some adrenal testing could really help clarify that. You know, if you, my mom, when she did her adrenal testing, she was, she had the curve, but it was, it was above the range. (laughs) She's really high strung, you know, so, which is not good for your adrenals. I think that, I think that's where testing I'm not going to take too much of your time, but um, tell me quickly about what is Misty's signature supplements for sleep? Um, you know, I actually don't have, I don't take anything for sleep. Um, if I've struggled in the past, um, I've taken CBD at night. Only recently, CBD just became legalized in the U.S. in the last right. year, 18 months. So this is new for us too. Yeah. Um, I have taken CBD. I have taken melatonin. Melatonin. Um, but you know, the thing that's helped me the most is support is hormone support, cold baths, and the amber glasses. Hmm. I just, for me and my own personal, that's my N equals one, my own personal experience. Those are, those have been gigantic needle movers for me. I, I haven't been able to take a supplement and have it give me the kind of results that these other things do. So supplements aren't big on my radar. I'm, I'm not opposed to if I was really having challenges and for whatever reason, my body wasn't producing the melatonin that I needed. And I felt like I was doing everything right. I would totally take a melatonin supplement or five HTP. You know, I would see what works for me. A lot of people have really great luck if they're, if you're waking up in the night um, with GABA, um, you can also mm-hmm. check your, make sure you're not dealing with blood sugar issues, um, yeah. really leaning into maybe more of a low carb diet to avoid those blood sugar swings. Cause a lot of times the reason why we're waking up in the night is because of low blood sugar, but, um, but GABA can be really great because it's not going to make you feel exhausted in the morning. Um, so I know a lot of people in our community take GABA if they wake up in the middle of the night. So that can be a great one, but I'm, I'm lucky at this stage that I've been disciplined. I mean, this is years. I mean, this, I have, my friends know I practice what I preach. I go out to events and people are staying up all night. I do a lot in community um, here in the U S with the functional medicine world and, and, um, and that just the general health world, my, the mind share community and everything here. So people are doing stuff all the time and I love going to those events, but I'm in bed 10 30, 11 o'clock. It doesn't matter. Like I just, people know, even here in Austin, it's a very communal city and there's a lot going on and the community gets together a lot and they like to get together and party all night. And it's, I, I can be with you until about 10, 10, 15, and then I'm out. I got to go home and go to bed. So <laughs> I, it's, I'm very committed. Non-negotiable. Yes. And Non-negotiable. when you're committed like that, your body, your body is able to sleep and you don't have to do all the supplementing. And that's a blessing for sure. That's great because I think that's really a big clarification that you made to people that start where and what you 
spoke about, about the cold, about the amber glasses and reducing the exposure to light. These are things that everybody can implement right away. They don't need to see anybody. They can start right now. They're powerful tools. And uh, when you share that, begin there rather than looking at a supplement because then the supplement might take you that one step further if you need it, but you've already implemented what you require as the foundation. So that's a great takeaway for everybody. I think if you want to improve your sleep, you have to, you have to look at your lifestyle and the way you're living your life really. I mean, so the just quickly, that I've had tell, to do. Yeah. quickly tell us what are external stressors and internal stressors. External stressors could be a really challenging marriage relationship. It could be right. um, taking on a lot of stress at work, a lot of demands on you at work. You have a lot of responsibility and you have to perform. Um, it puts your body in this state of cortisol production to deal with, you know, whatever's coming at you. If you have challenges with your kids, um, you're a caregiver for your parents, your aging parents, that could be a stressor. You could have some, you're in a car accident and mm. that creates a lot of stress on your body. You're in an environment where you're breathing in really toxic air all the time, or there's a lot of toxins in your water. Those things can all be stressors too. So there's a lot of things externally that can create stress for us. And anytime we're exposed to stress, there's a stress response, which triggers cortisol and, you know, the whole cascade happens and internal stressors are things like parasites, um, gut dysbiosis, um, heavy metals, certainly mold, um, viruses. I struggled with Epstein-Barr virus that gave me crazy fatigue. I likely had a 30 year chronic infection. Um, it was just, was constantly reflaring. And when I started testing, I would actually catch the reflares on, on our tests. But, um, if you've got viruses, uh, that haven't been, um, properly tested for, um, so that you can get rid of them. You could have viruses internally that are creating a lot of stress on the body. So lots of things can be happening, happening internally too, to create stress. I actually tell people, if we want to just simplify this whole conversation of health and healing and like what's going on, there's one reason that our body isn't healthy and that's stress. Yeah. So we each have to figure out what is our unique stressors and how do we start cleaning that stuff up. And, you know, it's, it's not always fun. It's not always fun to come to Jesus around stress. And, you know, I have to say no to something that I, it meets my needs in some way. And I don't want to say no to it, you know? Um, but this is how we get our life back. And to the extent that you're willing to be brave and to call on your courage and to face things and say yes to yourself, instead of saying yes to everybody else, Mm. um, you can really affect a lot of change and, and get your health back on the right track. Misty, I think I time has just flown by and uh, I wish we could go on for another hour. Thank you, Misty. So where can people find you? How, what exactly are you doing out there today? Just share some of that, those links for us if people want sure. to find you. So you can find me at healingrosie.com. I have an awesome community of thousands of women who are committed to engaging and advocating for themselves and taking their life back. And we have a Facebook group healing Rosie on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, all the social channels you could find healing Rosie, but it's all linked from the website. I also have two downloads on the website. How are you wired to sleep and create your sleep sanctuary? Both free. So if you're wanting some real practical tips on how to really get a hold of this sleep challenge that you're dealing with, then uh, you can get those at healingrosie.com too. 
Thank you, Misty, taking time out and uh, joining me on the Sleep Whisperer podcast. And I hope that uh, we will continue our conversation outside of this episode for a long, long time. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you today. This podcast is intended to provide helpful and informative material on the subject matter covered in the episodes. The podcast is not acting in the capacity of a doctor or a registered dietitian and is not rendering any professional healthcare or medical service. The information in the podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice or services or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. The advice and tools contained herein may not be suitable for your situation. Any medical questions regarding contraindications and cautions or any questions on whether or not to proceed with any practices provided in the show should be referred to qualified health professionals before adopting the same. The podcast specifically disclaims any responsibility for any liability, loss, risk, personal or otherwise which may be incurred as a direct or indirect consequence of the use of information from this podcast or the application adoption of any of the information provided.